Hi and welcome to episode 42 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the Page One Podcast. If this is your first episode at the Page One Podcast, we like to speak to writers of all kinds, authors, screenwriters, comic book writers, about how they got into the industry, uh, what their writing process is, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. And we've got a great back catalogue of previous guests across all of those fields and more. So please do check that out. Um, but we also have a great guest this week, Tarek. We have a fantastic guest for the season finale. It is the season no finale, least. yes. This week we chatted with Stephen Graham Jones, who is a Native American author. Uh, his output is prolific, to say the least. Uh, he's done a lot of hot experimental fiction, horror fiction, some science fiction. His latest book is The Only Good Indians, and it's been getting a lot of good buzz. And we've both read it, and it is fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it really is. Kind of, update of a slasher movie kind of horror mm-hmm. fiction uh really good yeah it's funny i as i've commented on the podcast before i'm really not a fan of horror movies but i do <laughs> i do like a book um and we actually talk about you know how you write uh, like as we did with last week's guest actually paul tremblay um who's called i think the only good indians a masterpiece uh, uh you know what what is it that you do to make someone scared when you're reading a book to elicit yeah. that sort of response from reading is quite difficult. So, um, you know, we, we chat about that with him. Uh, he's got a great story about how he got into publishing as well, yes. or writing his first book. It's an incredible story. Um, and we also hear about how he writes books occasionally in three days, which is... Yeah, I've, it's, I think it's probably safe to say he is the fastest author I've we've ever chatted to yeah like he, he writes books in weekends you know a few weeks at a time and just it's it's, it's an incredible uh stories of how you can just if you if you put your mind to it and you sit down you can just blast through it all and it's it's quite inspiring in a way yeah it is it, it, that's exactly the word i was going to use it is you know i've loved speaking to all our guests but i, I found speaking to Stephen, it was inspiring because it it really shows that if you you know if you if you concentrate and settle down and focus on this the, the sort of things that you can do and I, I really enjoyed the chat with him so i hope you do as well um we'll get straight into the podcast after a quick advert for a writer's notebook the page one notebook uh, and then afterwards we'll be back with a little bit more chat and as Tarek said it is the last episode of this season uh, as we like, we like to divide these episodes up just to give us a little bit of a break. Um, but uh, we have already recorded a few episodes for next season and it is going to be a fairly short break, but we'll explain more at the end of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? 
structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you grow up wanting to be an author? Was that always your ambition? No, no. Where I grew up, you either were going to be a oil field worker or a farmer. Those only two options in West Texas. So I never, that was never even in the realm of possibility. I never had any plans to go to college even at all. I didn't even finish high school the right way. You know, I got kicked out a lot of times and had to go an alternate route to get my degree. Um, but when I was in fourth grade, I read this novel by Wilson Rawls, Where the Red Fern Grows. Do you know that book? No, no, no I didn't that one. Okay. It's, um, it, I think that they probably passed it out to like third graders back then, you know? And I remember it took me three checkout periods to read that book because I wasn't a quick reader. But when I got to the very last page of that book, it's a book about um, coon hunting in the South. And on the very last page, there's a, old axe head stuck in a tree and a rusty lantern hanging on it kind of like a symbol of all the hunts that have happened in the decades previous and i distinctly remember closing that book and holding it closed and thinking i can do that i can stick an axe head in a tree and hang a lantern from it you know i can come up with images like that that kind of sum up or evoke something else you know um and so i always figured that i would turn 18 lease a tractor get a trailer house out in the pasture and farm all day or just be a custom farmer which means i plow for other people and then at nighttime i'd read books and maybe do some writing but no i never never even had writing on the mind and it was also i went to when i did go to school my mom said i'll give you one semester of school to see what you're made of you know and she'd mm-hmm. save oh, wow. some money yeah she'd save us some money and she sent me and i was a philosophy major i wanted to be an archaeology major but i ended up being a philosophy major but I ended up missing class one week in my composition course, and I was in a ICU waiting for somebody to live or die, and I had a notebook with me and a pen. So I wrote a story, my first story ever when I was 19, and I came back to composition class, and I said I didn't do my homework, but I did write this. This proves that I was putting words on paper, and I handed it to her, <laughs> and and the teacher, the teacher typed it in for me. And submitted it to a departmental award, and I won one hundred fifty dollars. And nice. wow. it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And yeah. and I, I still didn't become a creative writing major. I stayed a philosophy major, but I started taking creative writing courses because mostly just because I could enter contests and win money, and I needed money terribly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you start off with uh, short stories? Was that 
The root end? Yeah. Yeah. I did. It's like, it's like we're all programmed on James Joyce's model. You know, you start mm-hmm. with double owners and you move on to the big work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, yeah. I think that's a, and that kind of results in a hierarchy of sorts where you consider short stories like practice for the show. And short yeah. stories are their own, they're their own thing. They're their own art. They can be a final form. You don't have to graduate. From mm-hmm. them. They're totally good. And I think I I read online that your so your first book was the Fast Red Road, um, mm-hmm. and this might not be true, but I read online that you were chatting to an editor at at a party somewhere, and you made up a lie that you'd written a book, yeah. and then had to go home yeah. and write it. <laughs> I did, yeah. I I heard my I had this like out of body experience where I was hearing myself pitch this novel to her, and she said, "Let me see it," and I said, I'll, "Let me do one more pass on it, and I'll give it to you." So I so did you um get that book published without an agent then did you just do that directly yourself yeah i did you know the way that happened i was working on my i ended up i ended up liking school i had never been in an environment where books and what you thought about books mattered you know that was not Mm -hmm. the way it was where i grew up but at college i was in classrooms with people who cared about stuff and read chapters and read books and it was amazing it blew my mind so i got addicted i stayed on through my master's and my phd and so I got to the point in my PhD where I was about to do my dissertation defense and I'd already written my dissertation, which was that novel that I pitched to that editor at that party. And um, one of my dissertation committee members had to dive off like two weeks before the defense because of a family emergency. And if I didn't have a quorum of people, then I couldn't get my PhD. You know, then the last eight years of undergrad, mm-hmm. master's and PhD would be useless. Um and so I went, I thought, who can I, who can I pull in? Who can I pull in? And I had taken a Gertrude Stein class with this one guy and we had got along pretty well. I was the only person in class to actually read The Making of Americans by Gertrude Stein, which is a heck of a book. And <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so I went to his office and I said, hey man, can you please come sit on my committee? You don't have to read this stupid book. All you have to do is nod your head. I just need a body in the chair. That's all I need. I said, you can vote yes or no. It doesn't matter just be there so I can have a chance at graduating. And he said, I'll do that. And he shows up at the defense with the manuscript all marked up. And I'm like, good grief, this dude actually read it. But then instead of asking me questions, he said, he said, um, can I publish this book? And I was like, what do you mean? And, tur- and it turns out he was the publisher of a innovative press FC2 that had been around since 1974, which I guess that was 25 years at the time. And it was a really well, re- well regarded press. And I thought it can't be this easy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I told, I told him, thanks, but no, I'm going to go to New York and be Thomas Pynchon, you know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I didn't actually go to New York, but one of my friends, he had this little, um, this little, this new Ford with this black short bed Ford, which is a really pretty truck, but he sold that to get stake money to move to New York to be a writer himself. And he went up there and he ended up being a custodian for a lot of the um, high rise Manhattan buildings which meant he had keys he had a key ring that could get him into any office and what what he did was he pretended to be my agent he would um go into the agencies and steal their letterhead and use their machine their computers and the printers (laughs) and pretend like my manuscript was coming from this agency then he would go to the editor's offices at the publishing houses and leave this on the highest editor's desk like it had made it all the way up the chain you know and i'm (laughs) It's like a movie. 
yeah totally um, but it, it was an unsuccessful um caper because <laughs> we, we got a lot of rejections and so then i went back to that guy who i had pulled onto my dissertation committee and i said hey man you still game and he said i am and so he published it and then it won some awards got some good notice and then having one novel under my belt i was able to snag an agent mm-hmm. wow so, so do you think if you never went to the party and spoke to the editor and suddenly had this had this deadline, would you ever have written the first book, or or was that the kind of you know, fire that got you going? I I had a huge I had a notebook with all the things I wanted to do in this book, which is always the way it is with your first book. You have like an impossible pile of stuff you want to put in that book, and I had that I had that notebook for sure. But I don't know, man. I mean, I might have taken an easier way out. I might've just done the greatest hits of my short stories from workshops as my dissertation or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was very fortunate that, uh, you know, overextended my reach and told her I had to written this novel that I hadn't written, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it can be good to put yourself under pressure like that in in some way. For sure. Um, sure. And since then, I think it's fair to say that you haven't stopped having ideas because you've been fairly prolific since since that first book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I read that you you said that you can write a book in a couple of months. Is that yeah. a standard approach for you? Yeah, that's about standard. Like these last these last few years, I tend to write books in about four to six weeks. That's, that feels really comfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is not because like I mean I am a real fast typer, but it's not it's not because of like anything mechanical, and it's not because um, like ideas come to me any faster or anything. I think it's because when I'm writing a book, a novel especially, not a story but a novel. I have to emotionally and intellectually invest so deeply in the reality of this world in order in order to render it as real on the page that I lose the line between the novel and the real world, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I go down to the grocery store to get some cereal. I'm looking for Frosted Flakes, and I happen to look out of the corner of my eye, and for a moment I see my character that I'm writing about, and I realize... I'm like having a Philip K. Dick moment. Am I real? Am I, am I in a simulation? What is going on? You know, is a pen about to come trace me? Or what, what's going on? And, and so my writing quickly like that is just, I'm in a tunnel and I'm racing for that light at the end so I can get back to the real world. And does that always happen for you? Or do you ever suffer, you know, the dreaded writer's block? Do you ever get stuck when you're doing that? You know, I don't get stuck. For, for me, writer's block is just um, having too high of standards. You know, mm-hmm. if if you tell if you tell yourself you're just writing for your um, your cousin who's always stoned and laughs at everything you say, then it becomes so much easier to write. You know, because <laughs> you, you, then you can always you, that that gets pages crossed, and you can always go back and make pages better. Mm-hmm. You know, but you've got to get them you got to get them done in the first place. But I have actually once. This was back in 2016, 2017, my first novel after Mongrels. It was a detective novel. I mean, it wasn't said anywhere. That's the thing. I was, I wanted to write a novel that was a crime novel set against the backdrop of some Kafka-esque city, like just gray shapes, mm-hmm. like in a Batman backdrop or something, you know? And, um, and I thought that'll foreground the characters, but I got about 120 pages in and it started to be like pushing a boulder uphill. It wasn't going anywhere. And I was thinking, is this what everybody talks about when they talk about writer's block? You know? mm-hmm. um, Cause it was getting, it was getting to be a slog, you know, I was having to just really strain to get the pages down. And right about then I had to go to Texas to be a guest at a book festival in my hometown, which I didn't even know people in my hometown read. That was really weird to me, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, um, while they were chaperoning me around from this event to that event, I was in the back of the car looking out the window 
at the the buildings and I realized this is that backdrop. This is that place that I'm writing about. And so as soon as I could, that Monday, I went back to my keyboard and uh, instead of having City X, I I had it be Midland, Texas, my hometown. And the novel just told itself after that. I think it went 150,000 words, you know, a big old thing. But Mm -hmm. that was my first time that I ever realized that place is a character. I don't know why it took me like 20 odd books to figure that out. That's a really obvious thing, but it took me a long time, you know? (laughs) And when it comes to actually, you know, your ideas, it, we we've shared folk before in 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 the past, and people seem to have different ways of creating ideas. Whether it's things that come to them when they take notes from dreams, or it's they actually have to go and sit and go through newspapers and piece it together. And you know, how do you come up with all these ideas? Do you do you work at them, or do they just pop in your head? They just pop in. Well, I say they pop into my head. It's really like I go walking out in the world, and they stick like burrs to the pant, the legs of my pants. You know, I think there's <laughs> there's there's just ideas everywhere. Um, I'll never have time to time enough to write down all my ideas really in an effort to kind of streamline that or, or, or compress it. I'm a library one to buy all my, buy my papers two or three years ago. And I have just a a big shelf of, I don't know, probably 120, maybe 200 note style notebooks that I write story premises down in line. We all have that stuff, you know, and that's always been like my treasure hoard, but in order to push myself, I gave them all to the library, so I don't have access to any of those anymore. So I've had to like start all over. And I mean, I'm I'm trying not to accumulate that either. Um, you know, Stephen King says that those little spiral notebooks we carry around are, he calls them bad idea journals. Is that right? Or bad idea notebooks? Yeah. Because he said you only you only write the bad ideas, the only good ideas you remember. You know, yeah. and yeah. I'm, I'm trying to subscribe to that a little bit, but it's terrifying, you know, because I. I feel things slipping away. Yeah, no, it can be like if you suddenly have this great idea, you want to get it written down somewhere so that it doesn't get lost mm-hmm. again. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in, in this process of you writing uh, your novels in in such a compressed mm-hmm. period of time for, you know, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. do you do you take, you know, are you a big planner beforehand? Do you outline it beforehand and then sit down and say, right, I'm going to write this now? Or do you sort of see where it goes? I just see where it goes. What the way that like novels happen for me is like let's see, I have this one this one novel, The Long Trial of Nolan Dugatti from probably of seven or so. And the first line of it is something like, um, what I remember of my father are the suicide notes. And that's all I had, you know? And mm-hmm. that was that was actually I wrote that novel in a three day novel contest and so I, you you couldn't like write anything write anything down before midnight on Friday. And that's that's the line that came to me like at eleven fifty before the contest started. And <laughs> and um and that's how it always goes for me. It's just like um an idea runs by and I just try to grab onto it and hold on as long as I can. Like one one line becomes another line and then that snowballs into a paragraph and then it's a scene and it's a section and it's a chapter and it just gets bigger and bigger. I've tried outlining before and for me, it hasn't worked so far. I'm not saying it won't ever work, but for me, it hasn't worked yet because, you know, that, that Texas novel I was just telling you about, that big, that big mm-hmm. crime novel, I did outline that one, like six pages, all these nested bullet points. But when I wrote that novel, I never once, I printed that out and put it on my desk uh, and I turned it over. I never once turned it back over to look at it because what it was a crime novel. So there was, you had to like paste the, um, the clues, you know, and the yeah. red herrings and all that stuff. And that, that's why I had to outline it to get that pacing down. But I never once looked at that outline when I was writing because I, I have this fear that um, 
writing would then become just fleshing out bullet points. Yeah. And um, I like there to be, I I feel like if there's discovery for me, the writer, then that discovery might be there for the reader too. You know, if I were a better writer, I think I could have no discovery, but still stage it for the reader. And maybe someday I will be a better writer like that. But for now, I just, um, just grab onto something and go. And the result of that is I go into so many dead ends in a project Mm -hmm. and, and, and before I find the path through and, but really that's, you know, if, if I'm a fantasy writer and I have to get the sociopolitical history of my fantasy realm and the climate and just everything about it, then I've built the world beforehand. And it's like a, a contour map that I can run across. My character can run across. But if you do it like I do and you just walk through a doorway and start, start going everywhere, all my dead ends are mapping that territory, you know, so that by the time I identify the central avenue, um, I've mapped everything else. And so everything else that's impinging on that central storyline can feel real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're doing all this and you're, and you're going through the mapping and you're going, you're, you're hitting a dead end and you go back, hit, hit, you know, it, do you, do you, is that part of the editing process for you? Is that, is that, is that almost like a redrafting every time you have to, you have to go back and rework the new route? Is that like a new draft almost? It, it, it kind of is. Yeah. I have, I do versions. Like I'll have, um, I always start the first, the first file is like novel one a, and then within like three weeks, I'll be down to novel one F. And then I have a big change and I say novel two a, and I start over and I'll just get layers and layers mm-hmm. and layers of that. Um, because I, I will, I have a problem on page 89 that I can't get past. Like it's some plot, something broken with the plot or the character or something. And it's, what I found is the problem is never on page 89. The problem is generally like on page 42 or something. The problem is just expressing itself on 89. And so mm-hmm. then I have to back up, back up, back up and start over from that last good place. You know? Yeah, And I suppose if you solve the problem that way, it's almost an organic shift because you're not just kind of putting a kind of plaster cast or whatever on the problem on page 89. You're actually going back and, yeah. you're, and you're fixing the whole foundation of the story. So it, it flows better mm-hmm. and goes right past mm-hmm. that. That's a nice way to look at it, actually. Yeah. And yeah, d- yeah. Ideally, ideally, that's how it works. Yeah, and I, I always like I have this one novel um, that I wrote that I published like I don't know, eighteen years ago. That to me, it's just all band aids, like you're saying, all plaster cast on top yeah. of it. You know, yeah. and I, I, I'd rather have that organic feel, like you're talking about. Yeah, you know? definitely. And, awesome. and 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 in that process, are you, you know, do you show it to anyone else until you're completely happy with it, or you know, do you speak to people about the story, yeah. or do you just keep it to yourself? until you're done with it kind of a thing. I, I generally try to keep it to myself. It, sometimes I'll test myself. By, I'll be doing a book event, you know, somewhere in the world, and I'll make myself like read a scene or a section or a chapter to an audience. Mm-hmm. And and every once in a while, like I teach a lot of workshops, and I, of course, respect my students enough to give them my work as well. Sometimes I'll give them a chapter or a section or something just to, to, to chew up and make better. But I try not to talk, talk it through with people because – for me, anyways, if I tell them you're not going to believe it, there's a car chase, and then they jump the drain, they jump the Grand Canyon, and a pterodactyl comes. You know, um, if if which sounds like a pretty great novel, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if I if I say that that I'm committing to that, then I I'm obligated to that person to have a pterodactyl swoop in over the Grand Canyon and snatch this car up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that may not be the good story turn. It may be better if they go down and land in the river and somehow live or what, whatever, you know? Um, so I try not to talk it through. I know, but you know, I've been working with TV and movie writers lately 
and they like in a writer's room they talk it through exhaustively yeah. mm-hmm. and that really does allow you to avoid so many of the difficulties that are going to happen in a story you know but like you say it can also it can also hinder the the sort of creative process of it, the discovery of it, and the enjoyment of it as well, like you say, because definitely, yep. f- from my own point of view, part of the joy of writing is is finding out that your characters will do things that you didn't even expect them to do, as you know, as you're telling the story. So, um, when it sounds like as well that through the process that you use, you'll naturally know when it's ready, when it's done, because I think for a lot of you know writers starting out part of the big issues is they can finish something, but then they can always think that they can go back and tinker with it and tinker with it. And they're never satisfied with what they've got and think it's finished. But it sounds like the process you've got will naturally lead to that point where you say, I know this is the the finished article. Well, I mean, really I'm the same as everybody else. I will keep tinkering forever. If I, if I have room and space and time, I'll just keep adjusting commas and changing words and, making this scene ramp up a little better to all those, you know, 10,000 things we can tell ourselves is making a thing better. The way that I know it's time for me to step away from a novel is when the next novel is just trying to climb the gate to start itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I, that's when I say good or bad, I'm done with you. I'm moving on, you know, mm-hmm. cause I have seen, I have seen so many writers write a novel and then live inside that novel for eight or 10 years. And they could have been writing so many novels, but they are stuck in this one place. They're just spinning out the mud, you know? And I'm not saying that can't produce great stuff. That can produce great stuff. But um, to tell you the truth, I mean, maybe it's just my own, like, lack of quality standards. I'd rather write eight pretty good novels than one great novel, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want to get these ideas that you've got around, you know, that you're carrying around. You want yeah. to get them out there rather than just yeah. being stuck on one of them, for sure. Um, sorry. Uh, obviously, you uh, a lot of what you've written, uh, you've written across uh, different types of books, but you, you do write a lot of horror. Um, why are you drawn to that genre in particular? It's, I mean, it could be just random. I grew up reading a lot of horror. It just happened to be the case. And I mean, I guess that maybe the randomness I'm talking about is I grew up kind of in the horror boom here in America, you know, where mm-hmm. these mass market paperbacks all just flooding the world, you know, everybody trying to be Stephen King, of course, because that was his big heyday. I mean, his heyday continues, but that was his big, big heyday, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but um, I, what I like about horror is that it, it can kind of elicit a a visceral response from the reader that the reader doesn't really contractually agree to give you know mm-hmm. like um, like a reader can read a horror novel and they can say ah this there's a typo here and this writer doesn't really know how to use um words that well it's like they're seeing the zippers on the monster's back in the movie you know mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, yeah and and they say well that was, that was a fun ride but it's over and they close the book at three in the afternoon but then 2 30 in the morning they're going down the dark hall for a glass of water and that book blooms, you know, yeah. and they're, they're, they're like, I can't turn this light off. I'm going to stand in this hall all night long, you know? And, and they didn't agree to that. They don't want that, but horror is doing that to them anyways. And I love that, um, that a whole, that a genre can put a person like on a string like that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the most effective horror that, that I think I've, that, that I read or watch that really gets me is the, is when there's a, there's a, there's enough that you can almost see it happening you know, to yourself, whether it's, as you say, in, oh, yeah. in that dark hallway and stuff. And, and is, and is that where the kind of write what you know 
kind of crosses over a little bit where it's you know you want to make it grounded enough in that person's reality that it could, yeah. it could happen to them you do you well I, the trick to me is if i write about things that i'm scared of then i can foist that terror off that terror and dread off onto the reader a mm-hmm. little bit you know and but as for what you're asking specifically um most of my horror maybe all of my horror really is set in what i consider to be our world you know a lot of people will set horror in like um a world where um horsemen like the like frank Rosetta's you mm-hmm. know killer they where they they go around a landscape sticking pikes through people you know and putting them on on walls and stuff um and to me that can be like kind of kind of scary but it's in another world so it's not yeah. going to scare me in the hallway at 2 30 in the morning mm-hmm. you know it, but if i if if i write a novel that's set in 2020 then hopefully people will lose the line between what's real and what's not real. And then I can work a little dread into their lives, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true of, of the film of, you know, horror films as well. The, the, the sort of over the top monster slasher movies are, can be fun or whatever, but they're not the sort that are, that you carry with you. Those are the sort of psychological yep. horrors that are the ones that sort of haunt you, as you say, when you're going for a glass of water in the night or whatever. Yeah, no, for for sure. Yeah, you've also written with another horror writer, actually, Paul Tremblay, who we've had in the podcast as well. But um, what's that process like? Do you enjoy the collaborative process? I really enjoyed working with Paul. Yeah, he and I are really good friends. And so that, you know, helped tremendously. If we didn't know each other or if we just got put together by a publisher or a studio or something, that'd be a different process, of course. But the way we did it was, like, Paul wrote the first chapter of that novel. He sent it to me. I rewrote the first chapter and wrote a second chapter, sent it back to him. He rewrote my chapter, wrote a third chapter. We just kind of leapfrogged through the story like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, addressing you know, and sometimes we'd address it. We'd have to we'd get in chapter nine, and we realized we should have done something in chapter three. So one of us would go back to chapter three and do that, you know. And it was really nice. Yeah, it worked really well. And to tell you the truth, I was nervous going into it because I've heard about so many um, collaborative collaborative projects where people go in as friends and come out bitter and resentful towards each other. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Paul and Paul and I get along well enough, and our writing complements each other well enough that it wasn't really an issue at all we had a great time and i'm currently working with a co-writer on a television thing and he and i are getting along famously and it feels like a, i feel like may west saying famously <laughs> but, we, um, <laughs> but um yeah it's going well it's going really well too um and and it, it has a collaboration yeah i was just going to say it, it, going back to what you were saying earlier you're having that discussion presumably about the story so helping mm-hmm. with that as well yeah yeah, it, t- it totally is. Yeah, I'm saving a lot of space by having those discussions or a lot of time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, when you're working with Paul or yourself mm-hmm. on a on a on a on a horror story, and you're, you're you're thinking about trying to scare people, you know, what, do you draw on what scares you? Is it is it, is it a kind of personal mm-hmm. thing thing for you that you try and mm-hmm. let folk in on a little bit? I do. Yeah, like in this novel, the only good Indians. It's it's about it's 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 a slasher. It's somebody committed a trespass 10 years ago, like, well, specifically in the Lincoln Indians, 10 years ago, four hunters kind of participated in a misdeed in the field hunting elk. And now in their present lives, a spirit of vengeance has risen to come punish them for that. And to me, like, that's one of my great fears. Cause I think in my twenties, I was 
doing a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't have been doing, like mm-hmm. most, like a lot of us, you know? And, and I wonder, um, did people get hurt? You know, do, do I carry the, should I be getting guiltier than I am, you know? And is there some sort of, um, justice loop that I'm now justice cycle that I'm now in that I kickstarted myself, you know? Yeah. Um, that that's like slashers are my favorite genre. And that's the reason they're my favorite is because in a slasher world, in a slasher build, I guess I should say, the world is fair. Misdeeds are punished, you know? Mm-hmm. Unlike our world, there's terrible stuff that happens every day in our world and it just goes unpunished, yeah. you know? But in a slasher in a slasher world, somebody with a hockey mask steps in the doorway with a machete and dispenses some justice, you know? And I like <laughs> that's a, it's terrible and bloody and violent. But it's also so consoling too to me. Yeah, there's a kind of simplicity to it, isn't it? There's like you've 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 done something bad or you've wronged somebody and there's a revenge or there's a the cycle's complete and it kind of closes off the off the loop. And yeah, that's I hadn't thought about that before, but that is actually yeah. very true. And there's the sort of inevitable dread of it happening. Exactly. You, you know yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You have to kind of like re examine your past and wonder what it, what is on my back trail. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we we've 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 reading that 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 book, uh, and it is obviously it's it's absolutely excellent. It's it it really does capture that kind of slasher feel, but it's it's a kind of it feels a much more modern updating of it. It's it's I, I suppose maybe because most of the slasher stuff that I read or watched as a kid was in kind of in kids in school being you know extreme yeah. types. So it's it's so it's nice to see a slasher taken in a new in a new way, and mm-hmm. and I read somewhere that the. The, the book was meant to be a novella at first and then you kind of ended up becoming longer and longer. And and I suppose that's part of the process yeah. when you're writing something and, mm-hmm. and you kind of see what, see what happens with it. It is. And, you know, actually uh, what happened was I wrote this novella map in the interior for tour.com for Ellen Datlow, the editor there. And she said, and we published it and it got good, you know, it, it made the rounds really well. And then she said, give me another novella. I told her, sure. And so I sat down to write a novella and it got out of hand, became a novel. I'm like, crap. And so then, <laughs> then I, then I sat down to write another novella and it became a novel, you know? And I was like, crap, what's going on here? And I, <laughs> and, and I did that in, with four books. I wrote four novels trying to write a novella before I finally produced um, this, this Night of the Mannequins, which is coming out in September, but um, from tour.com. But um, novellas are, novellas always want to metastasize into a novel, at least the way I do them. Maybe not the way everybody does them, but it's funny because short stories to me never want to become a novella, but no, novellas want to mm. become novels. And yeah, so I mean, that, we, we were going to ask as well, you know, you don't go into it thinking this has to be a certain length. You just let the story mm. take you where, where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I do know when I sit down whether a piece is going to be a flash fiction or something longer, mm. you know, but because flash fiction is ending from the moment it starts, you know, it's got yeah. 700 words or whatever, but, um, but I've only, only one time have I had a short story turn into a novel actually. And I don't think that novel got published. I don't think it ended up being very good. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, how do you, you know, but because you write your books in such a short space of time, um, mm-hmm. something like the only good Indians, for instance, um, mm-hmm. you know, do you have to do much kind of research in, into the characters or the mm-hmm. world that, you know, or do you, do you kind of, does it just come out in that, or, or is it almost kind of you've done research subconsciously and then suddenly it's kind of ready to come? Yeah, it, it's kind of like my life has been research because the only good Indians is about elk hunting, and I've been I, I've, I've been on the reservation after elk since I was twelve years old, you know. Okay. And um, so I did stuff to do a little bit of research, but it was generally the kind of research I do. 
is I text one of my friends and I say, Hey, what about this? And they, 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 they tell me, because you know? <laughs> um, I would, as far as research goes, I would far rather make something up than actually have to um, have it correspond with reality. You know? yeah. But nevertheless, it needs to be convincing and to be convincing, it needs to like not break any rules or history, you know? Yeah, I think that's. I totally agree with that. I think there is that. There's that line where you can you can make something so accurate that you kind of take the enjoyment out of it, and you yeah. want that. It wants to be. It needs to be a little bit. It needs to be realistic enough that folk are not going to be thrown away saying this is crap. But you, yeah, you need that artistic license to 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 match your space to to write your story. I think yeah. Exactly, and the the trick is, I think, in the accuracy or the correspondence is in the details. I think, like, I remember I was reading a in some best American short story or something. I was reading a short story about a character driving a tractor like across the field, you know, up one road, down another. Yep. And and when he got to the end of one row, he hauled the wheel over and turned. And that just completely broke the spell for me because I've driven tractor for my whole life. And the way you turn a tractor is with the brakes. You know, you push the left mm. brake and it pivots yep. on that, that wheel and turns around. And this told me that this rider doesn't know tractors. And if the rider doesn't know tractors, then they, they don't know farming. And this whole world just crumbles you know and so yeah. I've, I've it's my job as a writer to get those kind of details right you know like in the only good indians there's an old german rifle a mauser i had to look up and research that rifle a lot because i wanted someone who knows mauser rifles to believe this was a mauser rifle you know yeah 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 it can be definitely the, the it's the small things that make a novel feel real definitely that just but but as you say sort of peppered across it rather than sort of just dumped into here's yeah. all the research that I've I've been doing for the past six months I'm, you're exactly. now going to read it like, <laughs> oh, exactly. like, yeah like Joe Lansdale has a novel The Thicket I think it's The Thicket and in The Thicket the characters are all piled into a horse like cart and they're going across somewhere and they have to stop periodically and step over the side of the cart and there's a little like oil skin bag hooked on a post on the side of the cart with um grease in it or some grease and they have to get in that grease and grease the hub you know of the cart they're in or the or it'll heat up and fall off and that to me i mean maybe joe knows that from having seen buggies around but i'm guessing he picked that up from doing historical reading Mm -hmm. you know and that make that to me completely convinced me of the world you know i'm i mean he could have been the other route a writer can take is to like try to contextualize it like this historical person was doing this and this storm was coming through and all that stuff. That doesn't convince me. What convinced me is oiling that hub. You know, mm. that's what makes it feel real. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but talking about, talking about those details, um, my dissertation director, Janet Burway, I, I asked her about history and not history, about research once. And she said, yes, do all the research you can for a novel, go to all the great libraries of the world. And, you know, nowadays do all the Google searches or whatever you can do. She said, you have to, you have to know all that stuff. But the trick is don't write any of it down because if you do, then you have a stack of index cards 10 inches high before you start the novel and you feel compelled to make your work pay off by yeah. entering each of those index cards under the mm-hmm. page. And yeah. re- rather, you should just be writing down the stuff that actually sticks in your head, like the oil bag on the side of the yeah. card. You know? Yeah, no, that's a good... so true. Mm-hmm. I think we've all read books where you think this is just someone, you know, basically I've done 10 hours of research. I'm going to make sure you know I did 10 hours of research and it's just pages yeah. of exposition and you think that none of this is important to the plot or the characters and it's just, yeah, just mm-hmm. basically showing off. Yeah. yeah. And and I read somewhere that you said that a writer shouldn't be afraid to leave behind a broken idea or something that's mm-hmm. not working. And 
and how do you know when something, you know, I mean, how, how long do you spend on an idea before you say, you know what, this is, isn't going to work? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about it like that. Um, yeah, because it can't, it can't just be because it gets difficult because then you're only going to write easy things, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I guess I mean, maybe I can explain it through an example. A while back, a while back, this has probably been 22 years. Um, I was writing this novel called Fiction House, like, it was all one word fiction with H-A-U-S on the end because I was so clever, you know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it was about a future where novelists mattered and I, everybody wanted um, novelists in their stable to do the good work of the world and everything. And, um, you know, I got about 25,000 words into that and I realized I'm just indulging myself. I'm just amusing myself. Um, I'm not. I'm not telling a story that any reader is going to connect with as much as I'm connecting with it. And mm-hmm. so... The, the novel still had a lot of momentum. I could have finished that novel, but I dove out of it and dove into a novel, which I thought wasn't me indulging myself. And I think that's probably my litmus test anyway of when I quit a project is when I notice, um, if like I love like El Camino cars. If I find myself going on about El Camino cars for 30 pages, then I'm probably unbalancing that novel. You know? <laughs> and I need, I need to either exercise some restraint or start a new project <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask as well where do you find the time for because am i right in saying that you you teach as well right mm-hmm. i do so yeah, so, teach, so you yeah. teach you write 12 novels a year whatever and how do you squeeze it all in <laughs> um you know i think it, i tell my students that the way to get pages down is just to choose writing over everything but family and health and like five years ago, I used to say family, health, and something else, but whatever that something else was, I've forgotten it. So, it must <laughs> so, so, so it's just family and health, you know? And um, um, because really, without a support system like a family or friends or whatever it is, then it's kind of like you quit being human. And if you're not human, you can't write. You know, yeah. you have to be in some sort of social web, some sort of social network like that. Um, not like social network like Twitter, but just some, you know, people. You have to be mm-hmm. connected to the world. Um, and of course, if you're not healthy enough to actually put in the hours at a keyboard, then you're going to have difficulty writing things, um, even with dictation, I think. And so the trick is, like, the world wants to distract us. The world wants us to watch reality TV and sports on television and just mindless chatter. And it wants us to go to the bar and and kill the night that way. But mm-hmm. I think if writing is important enough to you, then you will choose it over everything else. And once you choose it over everything else, except family and health, then the pages just come because you have time. And so, yeah, I do teach and I'm, and, and, you know, I have a family as well and all kinds of responsibilities, but I just try to every little like window in the day, I try to fill it with words if I can. Mm -hmm. And that builds up, you know, at the end of the day, I'll have gotten some pages done maybe, but at the same time, some days you can't. Some days are just too stacked. You know, mm-hmm. you can't get to the keyboard. And I uh, used to feel guilty about that, but I, I finally decided that guilt wasn't doing me any good. You know, it wasn't turning into, in, into anything productive. And so I'll have sometimes two or three days where I don't write a single word and I just say, well, that's the way it goes. And then I get, just get back to it, try to make up for those that lost time mm-hmm. if I can, you know. And are you a night owl in terms of writing or do you get up early to write, you know, to fit around all these other mm-hmm. things? When I get up, I, I will get up early, but I like to get up early and either go out on my bike on the trail or go to the gym or do something physical, you know, because I wake up with all this energy, like mm-hmm. too much energy. I can't say the keyboard. Um, ideally, then I, if I can get to the keyboard by mid-morning, right until lunch, that's great. Um, I found out, you know, I was talking about that three-day novel contest. 
the first time I did it, I thought it was about staying awake for 72 hours and just hammering words into the keyboard. But I kept waking up with like 14 pages of the letter N because I'd fallen asleep on my keyboard. And and I did write a novel that first time I did it, but it wasn't a good novel. So the next time I did it, I thought, um, I'm going to change my process. And so what I did was instead of at midnight starting my novel at midnight, I made a playlist of about an 80 minute playlist. And once I had the playlist started, I uh, queued the playlist up, started writing. When the playlist went over, then I went and watched like an episode of Freeze Company or I went and shot free throws or I just went and did something for 30 minutes or 45 mm-hmm. minutes. Then I came back, started that playlist and went again. And at the end of that three days with sleep, and I actually slept for like, you know, probably two or three, six hour bits. Um, I had a novel to get published, you know, and it wow. was good. It was good enough. It was good enough to publish. And what I learned from that was that my writing session, if it can be about an hour and a half, that's ideal because I can keep, I can write words for six hours, no problem. But the last four and a half hours of that is just going to be crap that I have to go back and mm-hmm. undo, you know, but yeah. I can get good stuff down for about 90 minutes and then I need to go do something else. That's, that's quite interesting because I think so many people, you know, have this, it is like a guilt of like, I need to, yeah. I haven't written for two days. I need to get something on paper. Every every minute should be filled with writing. And if I don't do it, I'm doing something wrong. And then, and then when you say I've got I've got the morning off, and yeah, I'm going to fill it as much as I can. And the quality of that is 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 important. It's not just how much you can write, yeah. but but you, I think I think shorter writing sessions is probably not a bad idea because I think you do get yeah. a chance to recharge and just switch off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. One of my friends, he kept a little like log of for he did this for a while of. He would like go to the library and write, go to the coffee shop and write, go to his study and write, go to the living room and write, go to the backyard and write. And he kept a log with these like little like um, I'd got this much down, this much of it was good, kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. And then he went, he went back and looked at that kind of statistically, and he realized, oh, I write best in the kitchen, you know. And so he was able to figure out where he's most productive, which is a really a, a good, good way to come at it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, though, I know a lot of writers who who can't write unless like their special Buffalo is up to the right yeah. and the lamp is on this, yeah. this much and the, it's yeah. five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, yeah. They cleaned the house. You, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you can like, you can have all those little superstitions and rituals, but in the final analysis, they're all just excuses not to write, you know, and yeah. the less excuses you give yourself not to write, the more words you're going to get down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you said you were uh, working in TV. Is that something that you would like to do a bit more of writing screenplays or anything like that? You know, um, yeah, I, I love, I love doing scripts of all kinds, comic TV and mm-hmm. features. I'm doing a feature and a, and a television show right now. Um, and I've got a comic book coming out, which I'm not supposed to announce yet. So I won't say the name, <laughs> but, um, but no, I love all that. But my first love of course is fiction. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel most natural, most at home, you know, um, I love the limitations of all those different kinds of scripts though. I love like if you give me like a whole warehouse floor to do my dance in, then I'm gonna do the most stupid dance in the world. If you use masking tape and give me a little four by foot four by four foot square to do my dance in, maybe I can get something done. And that's how I think about all the the different like um conventions and requirements of scripts are that square. Mm-hmm. And in that really constrained space, you have to contort yourself into positions you never would have anticipated and you can really discover some cool moves i think and are, are, are the scripts that you're working on right now are they kind of adaptions of your own work or are they brand new one is brand new one is an adaption cool yeah. 
Well, that, that, it must be quite exciting to see you, you, your, well, one, to see your own book be turned into a film or a TV show, and two, just to yeah. just to be working in a, in a new area that's, you know, that you've done so, so many books and stuff. It must be nice to, to try your hand at something different. It is, and it's, it, it works out really well because I got a new agent in 2014, and the first thing she told me was, you're only going to do one book every other year, if that, you know, because I've been doing like four books a year or something mm-hmm. like for two or three, four years. And I'm, and I said, Oh, good grief. What am I going to do? And so right now I have this huge backlog of novels that I've written. I've probably got five or six novels I've written while I've got one published, you know, um, but working out all these scripts allows me to not write so many novels, you know, if that makes sense. It so why, why was that? Why did she want you to, sorry, just because that she says that, that sculpts a better career it makes each book an event instead of oh another Stephen graham jones novel I'll ah, get it okay. next month, you know mm-hmm. okay. and yeah. she's right too yeah, yeah she, she's right like the my 2016 novel mongrels landed pretty well because it had space on either side of it you know and this mm-hmm. and this only good indians seems to be getting a lot of attention as well because it's got a little buffer in front of it of nothing you know yeah, yeah i think that's right because we were i can't remember who it was we were speaking to but they sort of drew the comparison with stephen king who you know, they were big fans of Stephen King, but he has so many books coming out that it's hard to keep up with it. So there definitely is something yeah. to, um, you know, spacing it out in a, in a yeah, good way. Definitely. Leaves them wanting more, I suppose, is the, is the thing. And I always think of, talking about King, in his novel Bag of Bones, he has a novelist as protagonist who does that same thing where he gets ahead. He writes too many novels. And so when the novelist moves to this place, it ends up being haunted and he has to deal with all this ghost and everything and all this scary stuff. He's able to keep on task as far as his agent and publisher are concerned. Cause he just pulls a novel out of the drawer and says, here, I wrote this. I wrote this. <laughs> Cause he had problems <laughs> stacked up, you know, <laughs> which is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just take the next two, three, three years off and just exactly. <laughs> so uh, what, what was the book you said that is coming out? Uh, the novella that's coming out later in the year. Yeah. It, yeah, what? it is. September, September 1st, Night of the Mannequins. It's a slasher. Cool. Yeah. Nice. What, what was the last book that you read? Last book I read, it's right here, actually. Well, you can't see it on the radio. On the podcast, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's called The King by Rich Kozlowski. It's a comic book. or graphic, I guess I call it a graphic novel, mm-hmm. actually, because it's all one unit. It's about Elvis Presley. What if Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley came back from the dead? No, oh, nice. It's so good. It just is it zombie Presley. Impressed. No, it's not. A, it's a it's a alive oh, guy, yeah. and um, it's so well told. This Rich Kozlowski knows how comic books work, panel to panel, page to page, mm-hmm. really well. It paces paces the story wonderfully. I wished it would never end. I just wanted to go on and on. Brilliant. I'll check that awesome. out. Um, and what was the last film you watched? Last film I watched, um, completely, I, I jumped out of one last night because it got boring. Um, oh, yeah, it was two nights ago, and it was a rewatch, Paul Blart, Mall Cop. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Not the answer I was expecting, I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> oh, I love Paul Blart. It's it's so diehard, but in a mall with a rent <laughs> I've never actually seen it. What, what, what was the film that you stopped watching? Oh, I better not say it's it's just not got released, and I don't want to. I try not to say bad things about. No, no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, What What's the last TV show that you watched, or this this series that you are watching just now? 
the last TV television series I watched, it was a rewatch as well. It was Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. Um, and it was so wonderful because I had not gone through that since it first came out, since mm. its first run. And that is just such a good show. It does everything right. I could not be more impressed than I yeah. am with Avatar The Last Airbender. I've never seen it, but we've chatted a few folk and a lot of folk have mentioned watching that recently for some reason and yeah it mm. seems to be just I've, I've always heard nothing about great things you know about that show mm. and the less said about the film probably the better yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um the very very last thing we do is mm. a quick fire kind of either or um so mm. just the first answer that pops into your head okay. and uh, i'll start with supernatural horror or real horror supernatural um stephen king or joe hill Wow, I'm supposed to be quick fire. I know. I guess I'll say Stephen King because he's got more at the at the current moment. Stephen King has more. Okay, so that's fair enough. But they're they're but they're both really good. Uh, real book or ebook? I read ebooks pretty exclusively. I buy both. I buy the ebook and the hard the hardcover for my shelves. But I read on a device. You have you no know. idea how, <laughs> how happy you've made Tarek. Everyone says real book. So. Everyone picks real book, and I'm always sad because ebooks are the answer. That we, um, so I'm so glad to hear someone else agrees with me on this point. Thank you. At last, vindication. <laughs> <laughs> Another author who is a fan of ebooks. The correct response is Stephen. I liked Stephen so much until that moment. <laughs> that was the point he lost you. <laughs> yeah. Not not that I don't like ebooks. I do like ebooks, but just to give you that satisfaction, I would rather <laughs> I would rather it was deprived in this last episode. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I thought I thought that was a fascinating chat with oh, with Stephen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just you know that story about how he wrote his first book is is incredible just pretending he had one and then quickly quickly going and uh, working it up is, is it's amazing it's almost a plot of a book not yeah. actual real life yeah yeah so um thanks very much to Stephen for taking the time to do that if you haven't checked out the only good indians i would highly recommend it so uh, do grab a copy if you can um as we said at the start of the episode it is the last episode of this little run but we will be back in a matter of weeks we'll be back at the start of september definitely um i think it will be back on the third of september is, is that right um, that's right just got too much content yes too much content and we don't want to deprive you of it that's, that's <laughs> the thing lockdown's been very kind in the in the spare time to record episodes yeah uh, i think that's yeah. right which is actually led to us being able to get some great guests both for mm-hmm. the, this past season and next season we've got some great guests lined up as well yeah, so very excited to share that with you it will be but a brief uh, goodbye at the moment but before i do that uh, i will always ask if you enjoyed the episode if you could leave us a quick rating on apple podcasts that would be amazing and even better if you could leave us a review um that that really helps us climb up the rankings and continue to get great guests and of course, if you want to get in touch, you can always send us a tweet to at right underscore gear or an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Yeah, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, the the numbers on the podcast have been going up and up this season, which is great to see, but it would be great to get some feedback from, from you. So please 
don't hesitate to to no. drop us a line. And we know you love it, but how much do you love it? That's the question. <laughs> exactly, <sure>. exactly. <laughs> so um, in the meantime, have a great few weeks. Stay safe, of course, and uh, we'll be back at the start of September. See you in September. Thank you.